Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. My name is Eileen Prack, and our guest today is Patrick Grimes, and he is the CEO and founder of Passive Investing Mastery and Invest on Main Street. His real estate portfolio is valued at over $600 million, which includes 5,000 units in the southeastern United States and Texas. And since 2007, Patrick's been actively involved in real estate investment, specializing in purchasing, renovating, and stabilizing distressed assets to generate long-term cash flow for investors. And additionally, his expertise in real estate has led to his induction into the Forbes Real Estate Council and co-authorship of the Amazon number one best-selling book, Persistence, Pivots, and Game Changers, Turning Challenges into Opportunities. So Patrick, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Hey, Eileen. I'm great. Looking forward to this chat. Definitely an audience and topics that I love chatting about, real estate. Patrick, can you start off by sharing a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Yeah. So I came from a mechanical design automation background. I was a mechanical engineer, like many of your listeners, probably high paid professionals, worked hard, did something well, have some money, want to spend it. I got some advice not to do it all in stocks early on. So it was lucky and unlucky timing, lucky advice, but unlucky time because it was right before the 9 and 10 downturn. So I launched off into some pretty speculative, highly leveraged, all-in-one investment and lost it all very quickly in 9 and 10 and crawling out of it and slowly built the tortoise but not the hair portfolio from there. So at that time, when you said you lost it all, was that your real estate portfolio or were you invested in real estate at that time? Yeah. So I was searching around for ways to double and triple my limited funds at the time. And I got into a pre-development. I personally guaranteed the loan. I put all in in one deal. And pre-developments, even further from new construction, you got to really go a long bridge without cash flowing. And you got to hope the market doesn't fall apart in the meantime. And then the developers stay on schedule and the land get entitled and you got roads and everything in and then you can build and then you can sell it or rent it, right? It's a big, big bridge to get there. And unfortunately, everything fell apart. So I, the property came upside down. I was still paying out of pocket. I had to do debt forgiveness and then worked hard to negotiate my way up and ended up with foreclosure and I was broken. But I was gainfully employed in engineering still. So I did an automation, but I kept fighting that and doing really well. Did a master's in engineering and an MBA. And next thing I knew, I was had capital again, had bonuses again. I was like, well, where am I going to go this time? How am I going to do it? And so then from where, what did you decide to do after that? After you started building yourself, rebuilding, and then now you had some capital that you could look forward to investing in and placing in and getting it to work for you. What did you decide to do? Well, I've always been a guy that believes in diversification. And in fact, if you downloaded my passive investor guide, you'll see right up at the top, there's the diversification of the middle class and the wealthy or 25 to 50% of their portfolio in alternative investments. Whereas the middle class is like eight, high income is 25, ultra wealthy is 50%. I mean, there's to really start to invest and allocate your wealth into places that will grow you need to search out these alternative investments. And so real estate just kept coming back up again and again and again. And the breadcrumbs of the wealthy always led to real estate. Now, if you look at Tiger 21, which is 
one of the very popular high net worth club and they disclose where they're allocated. They're actually allocated. These are 20 million plus people. They're all out about 26% in real estate. So you need to find those locations to park some capital and some good deals. And I searched for lower risk ways to do it. I searched for cash flowing properties where I could buy and make a good buy and cash flow renovate to make a very measurable low risk improvement and then hold. And I started dumping my bonus checks into doing that in recession resilient markets like Houston. And so I started building a portfolio of single family at the time. I traded up to larger multifamily later, but it was working great, but it took a lot of time. I was moonlighting it. And so I could only do single family for so long before I had to trade up. What was it about the single family that led you into multifamily? Well, so I've got a couple articles in Forbes that kind of go into those aspects. One is just asset protection. Pat, if you search Forbes, Patrick Grimes Asset Protection talks about the risks associated with the do-it-yourself landlord and where you can protect yourself a bit more and just more skilled assets. The scalability of single family versus multi becomes a just a bear chasing you being the property manager or chasing a property manager for one unit in its each location and it all scattered around. Trying to renovate those. It's just Whereas if you have a 100 unit building, you can walk it all in a matter of a weekend, all the units, and you can slowly, systematically renovate, you can have lower risk debt, you can have on-site property management looking after it for you. There's just so many reasons why, and there's layers of the onion, that it just, at one point I told my wife, I was like, look, I got to stop doing single family because I can't be a high paid working professional. I can't trade away my personal time anymore for my portfolio. I need to trade up. And so... It was really that looking with the end in mind that I really want to get double and triple the amount of single families that I had, or do I want to buy one 80 plus unit building and then scale from there. And that was the ticket. When I finally got there, it took me two and a half years to make the transition. But my first 86 unit was only about two and a half times of one single family deal worth of my time. So it was the right decision. So you talked a little bit about diversification earlier on in our conversation as well. So have you started diversifying away from some of the multifamily things in your portfolio today as well? Or are you still focusing on multifamily and then diversifying within that asset class? So what happened is we so we built a very large multifamily portfolio with the intent. And like I said, I've always been an alternative investing and diversification guy. But as we built larger and larger, I noticed that my investor base got further and further indexed in various apartment buildings throughout the southeastern states in Texas. And so then we started, we launched a couple energy funds and we're launching a couple others through Passive Investing Mastery that allows, which both we educate and provide these alt assets is the mission of that with the goal of helping a bit better balanced approach. And so we have some really cool stuff right now, like a recessionary acquisitions fund an income fund, which does asset-backed debt products, provide for great cash flow. And we have a couple other alternative investments like real estate, like energy that are D-linked. We have other investments that are completely D-linked as well. Like they don't rise and fall and can help to provide cash flow and appreciation. So that's really what our mission is. And right now, being in a recession, that's probably the coolest thing we're doing is the recessionary acquisitions fund, because that'll only be around here for a short period of time. When you say the recessionary resistant fund, what do you mean by that? And what kind of assets are going into that fund? Yeah. So a recessionary acquisitions fund leans into the fact that while for the business has been for five to 10 years that you're buying a building and you're slowly improving it over a couple of years and maybe selling it in five to seven. And the idea is 
that you buy a building and then you raise a bunch of capital to try and fix it up and you hope the building appreciates to pay back the capital and then produces a return. While during this recession, we're seeing interest rates and taxes go up, we're seeing insurance go up, we're seeing COVID delinquencies happening and eviction courts are backed up. So there's a lot of called bad debt. It's really hard to get your expenses are going up and your income's going down and the interest rates are causing valuations. So that's caused a lot of operators to be distressed right now, which means that we have deal flow to buy things at better basis than we could two, three, five years ago. Just like in 2010, the people that made billions were the people that took the opportunity to buy right at the right time. They didn't sit on the sidelines and put their cash in a pile that's losing money with inflation right now. So right, the acquisitions fund, we going direct to owner, we're picking up commercial properties and we're paying all cash, getting the best basis. We're immediately refining out capital, buying another one. We're not distributing refi, we're pulling out, buying another one. And then we're taking the first property and we're 1031 exchanging it into another rate. So by that, you get one is now two, and then two is in four, and four is in eight. So with all within a five, now we still get cash flow because we're still distributing cash flow from rents. But in one property, even cash flow is typically not that good this year. In our deals, I mean, the first asset we put in the fund was cash flowing at 10%. But for the most part, general deals in the traditional sense that are bought at market don't cash flow because the interest rates and expenses now. So, but if you do it in a compounding fund where you're quickly in six months to a year, putting your investors' capital to work in deal after deal and maybe getting it into a dozen deals in three to five years instead of one, then the cash flow comes as you get more and more properties. So, when you're purchasing these properties, how are you making sure that they're cash flowing day one? Well, so that's part of our buy box. So, we're looking for properties that are not distressed assets, not distressed properties. They're performing properties with distressed ownership. And those people, maybe they didn't get interest rate caps and the interest rates skyrocketed. Maybe they got an interest rate cap, but as the interest rate approached their cap, it consumed all their income. Now they're at cash flow. Maybe they had saved up a bunch of reserves that disappeared because they have huge occupancy during COVID and the rent relief disappeared and eviction courts are backed up. Three to six months in some markets, people have taken out again. Maybe all of that happened and they saved up, but they had a bunch of money to renovate, but inflated costs of renovations, as well as inflated labor and payroll, used it up faster and they weren't able to create the value that they wanted in time. Or maybe they just, they got a loan that's maturing in the middle of all this. It's like, it has to, have to refinance. They have to either do something, sell or do something. At a time when their cash flow is really low, their net operating income is very low because their costs are inflated and their valuation is suppressed. And so they're in a tough spot. And so we can provide that source of relief. And if we can, in combination with all that, find somebody who wants to exit quickly at a great price and we can cash flow, which is our fundamental principles, which the last asset was a 10 cap, but it means it means the cash flows, you buy it all cash at 10%. It's pretty good. But if you keep all of your fundamental buying criteria the same, Recession resilient markets, recession resilient asset classes, like cash flow. We don't put more than 50% leverage down for refining, keep reserves, replacement cost insurance. You keep all the fundamentals strong. And if you can do all that and get a great return on the buy, do the deal, not move on. But it turns out right now there's a ton of distressed operators owning great assets where we can buy those <laughs> and all lines up. Probably won't be the case in three to five years. It certainly went from now. It wasn't the case two to three years ago. But the recessionary acquisition funds has that opportunity. It's, let's just buy as much as we can. Let's not worry about holding it and hoping our valuation will grow as we dump money into it. 
Let's just trade forward. And we can make that logical stair step on each buy. That I can calculate. The engineer in me can calculate that. It's the long-term holds where my crystal ball is a little more fuzzy these days. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So then what about like when we're looking at the interest rate as you're buying these distressed properties, does it still make sense to place debt on these properties with the high interest rates that we are seeing right now in today's market? Well, if you can't cash flow, then we don't buy it. And so we look to interest rates that we can get on the properties at a 50% leverage. And if after we buy it in cash, we pull out our capital. If we can't cash flow and write it out, then it won't pencil for us. But the investments that we're buying, like we just took one down that just a couple of years ago appraised at 7.3 million. We picked it up at 4.1 million and owner was disinterested. He was a software engineer and he didn't know how to operate it. He inherited it from his dad and it dropped to 60% occupancy. But at 60% occupancy, it was still cash flowing at 10% a year. So there's a lot of upside there. I mean, you don't have to do much, right? They just know how to properly put it back on the market, know how to properly do a couple months worth of lift. There's not a lot to really make that return on the buy. So during all this time, as you've been building up your real estate portfolio and your business, have you been working as an engineer during this entire time as you've been building up your real estate portfolio? And at what point did you make that transition or did you decide to go full-time into real estate? So yeah, it's a good question. So I was still love engineering. I love machine design. I love robotics. I've always been a bit of a creator. I get out there and I work with some really sharp people. Intel, Tesla, Lockheed, Abbott, John, medical device, solar cells. EV. I did all kinds of cool robotics, product, custom stuff. And every time you get in there, it's like you got all these new problems to solve. You're kind of creating something that's a custom machine and you've got a financial model and you're going to make turn it and kind of create a business where you have a budget, you create something. It lended itself really well to finding these structuring, modeling out these real estate projects. But I did engineering for many, many years in parallel. <laughs> I stuck true to that path for many years. But ultimately, what was the better decision for our family's future and the time that I get to spend with my wife who works right behind the sliding glass door here. And we have an eight-month-old. I'm not constantly zooming around out of control automation engineering projects. I can be more in control and service these real estate investments and have a better quality of life in the long run. But I still need little projects here and there to fulfill the, the geek side, which is still a part of me. So what is your next focus, Patrick? So we have the Recessionary Acquisitions Fund, which is doing great right now. We've got a ton of investors committing to that. So there's nobody else. I just talked in front of 600 people infant in San Francisco. And a couple dozen operators I talked to there said, nobody else is doing it just like this. Right? It's, it's the same strategy I've before, but just the front end and the back end. I'm not doing the middle part. And just doing a lot of it and trading for within the fund. So that we're really excited about. And we have five assets right now in the hopper. And some will fall out, of course. But there are at least of the thousands we're looking at, those are the most promising. So we have a lot of opportunity. 
we have a real estate recessionary income fund, which was a logical sister fund because right now investors are having a hard time finding cash flow and passive investors really need that. At the same time, interest rates are high on loans and there's distressed operators that we can lend to. So if we can't be the source of relief to the operator to just buy the asset, we can be the source of relief for the operator to provide debt to the asset. And that's been awesome because the ability for us to provide great cash to our investors, an immediate monthly annualized in a way where they could get their funds out of a money market account that's at risk for a banking collapse, right? They can stop losing money with inflation because the interest rates aren't keeping up. They can move it over into these secured asset-backed debt product in the income fund and start either collecting the cash flow or reinvesting the income for compounding interest for growth. And so I think that because we will give investors 90-day, 180-day, one-year, three-year options for liquidity, it doesn't make any sense anymore put the money and keep the money in these banking brokerage accounts and where they're losing with inflation, put them in the situation where we can provide some pretty significant returns, immediate cash flow and service what is an underserved market right now while regional banks are in a collapse and commercial real estate debt scarce. We can fill that need and make it a win on both sides. Based off of what you're seeing, and of course, we don't have a crystal ball or anything like that, but based off of what you're seeing, how long do you think that we would be in this type of environment for? And then how long do you think this need is going to be there to be able to provide both types of these funds to service this market? It's a good question. So there is a $1.5 trillion debt wall, they call it, which is $1.5 trillion in commercial real estate loans called bridge debt, variable interest rate loans, coming due by 2025. And that means for the next year and a half, at least, we're going to be in this fallout where all of these investments that are out there have to do something because the loan is maturing. And it's right now, it's going to be a similar number going into 2026. Right? It's going to be similarly aggregated because it is kicking the can down the road because the bank's are tightening up their lending on these assets that they traditionally would lend more on. And so and that's just the loans maturing. Then there's the cap rate question. Did people buy cap rates that were two years or three years, interest rate caps, even though their loan had five or 10-year maturity rate? So people are going to be more distressed maybe sooner because all of a sudden they kept their interest rate payments low. But then if they don't re-up their cap rate, then that's going to, they're going to lose all their income. So they're going to might be forced to sell because they may not have the million dollars it takes to buy a cap rate now when it only costs them $40,000 first time. Yeah. So with either interest rates, caps coming and or loan maturities coming, you're going to see just from those two factors, a significant amount of operators that are like, you know what, probably just going to exit. And we're not going to meet our pro forma because we're, it's at this tough time. We didn't have enough time to ride it out to get back on top of the equity position. So the very least two to three years if not more, we're going to see this post-COVID inflation interest rate issue continue to provide opportunities. And then there's the other opportunities we're finding, which are kind of unrelated. People just they inherited something. They don't know what to do and they're struggling and they just want out. So we'll keep happening. But that's what we've always been able to find. Now, it's just that there's a lot more of And how are you sourcing these opportunities or finding these types of opportunities as they come about? We go a little bit into that in our investor deck with this, but the traditional approach is working with brokers and pocket listings. But what we're finding is a little bit more efficient now 
is to just go direct owner. So finding the owners and finding the ones that brokers haven't been whispering high prices in for the last years and aren't totally out of whack with the market, which is why sales are so down right now. Things are just not trading because of that expectation. So going direct to owner, even though we may end up with a broker, finding out if the owner is distressed, finding out if they just want out, they're willing to move quickly. And then where their price point is and where their property is up front, that's where the agility that's required for our strategy, that's where that happens. So Patrick, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Well, so my wife and I, we don't have to fight, go on vacations anymore. And we get to have a little more control over our life. She does feature-length animated film producing. She loves it. I get to take investor calls because I love talking to people. And I get to put together investments because I believe in what I'm doing. And the whole project of Passive Investing Mastery evolved from our original company, Invest on Main Street. It's all about helping level up the financial IQ into all assets, into other investments. And believe in what we're doing. And it's a lot of fun. And we moved to Hawaii for a couple of years during COVID and engineering brought me back. But after I left it full on full-time real estate, here I am back in Hawaii for the summer. So it does lend itself for some freedoms that we wouldn't have otherwise had. And what is the one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? Partner up because I, me giving it the old college try right out of college <laughs> and thinking that, hey, look, I'll do it all on my own. And I got this. That didn't work out for me. Even when I started doing single family and I was like, hey, I'm a great engineer. I can become my own landlord. That worked, but it didn't work for my personal life. When I finally learned to partner, find, work hard. It took me two and a half years to actually learn how to partner and scale with operators that have been doing niches and had track records for decades and learning from them. And that's when I found that I had freedom in my life and success in my portfolio. And ultimately, I found a way out the engineering world. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? Well, the book that I would like to offer your audience is called Persistence, Pivots and Game Changers, Turning Challenges and Opportunities. And that really is it. It's you have to be a bit of an entrepreneur. If you're doing something else and you want to be successful, you either need to invest passively with an operator, which is typically what I recommend. But I've got some articles in Forbes, single family versus multifamily in Patrick Grimes. You can read about those. But if you learn to partner with somebody and you have a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit, you allow others to kind of take the reins and run with it. And you allow new and ideas and trust in trying things differently than the traditional path. And you seek help from others, right? That have been through the road. And like I graduating high college had not zoomed out enough in history to see recessions, right? People that have been around the block are zoomed out and they've seen a lot, experienced a lot. And I think that's probably the key. Patrick, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? So Passive Investing Mastery is a site that has a recessionary acquisitions fund and recessionary income fund. And on that site, you can request a copy of our book if you go to PassiveInvestingMastery.com slash book. And on that site, if you put the name of the podcast, we'll ship you a signed hard copy. And I guess that was the Amazon number one bestseller. Brian Tracy did the forward. Phil Collin, lead guitarist of Def Leppard, wrote a chapter in there. So, I mean, some actual rock star. So it's a really cool book. I believe in it. So I just bought a bunch. Yes. And set up a meeting. I keep times on my calendar. It's one of the things I love doing. I love to chat with whomever is interested in investing in various ways and understand where you're at, what your goals are, and see if we can get you pointed in the right direction. Awesome. Patrick, thank you so much for all of your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. 
Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.